0: So we're going to start a new series today. Before I begin, I got to, based on the comments I I got today, and I get whenever I wear something like this, which is, let's be honest, this is barely business casual, okay? But people get all concerned. They're like, why are you dressed up? What's wrong? (laughs) These are Eddie Bauer guide pants. Like, I could bike in these. I could, you know, climb a rock in these. So they're just kind of barely, but they also functionally kind of have that uh, Easter Sunday dress pants kind of look to them, so they're perfect like that. But I just want you to know that all is well. It was just you know for the ordination thing. Um, I won't make a habit of it for those of you who are concerned. Um, my wife told me yesterday, "Hey, there's an ordination tomorrow. You can't just wear jeans and your cutoff hoodie." So I thought I will go with my Eddie Bauer guide pants then. Win win. All right, so we're starting a new series uh, called the Yacht Club, and I want to. I'll start off by, we're, we're going to talk about um, the church and what the scripture says about the church, but I have a, a ministry colleague named Tim Selleck, and he grew up in, um, in Marblehead. He lives in California now. He loves to sail and has kind of been around, you know, water towns his whole life, and he tells of these rescue societies and how they were formed in olden days. And so the concept is something like this, and I don't know any like nautical terminology, so it's gonna come out. I'm also not gonna try to make stuff up and pretend that I know. So there are these perilous areas in, uh, on the coast. Bluffs, or I don't, I don't even know what they're called, but anyway, dangerous water places where you'd have like lighthouses, and there are rocks and things like that. And, and they represented uh, you know, dangerous waters for people who weren't familiar with uh, their surroundings and found themselves in, on the sea in, in, in boats. And uh, these rescue societies would form uh, as a kind of a volunteer rescue group. And they would train. They had their own boats. Uh, they had been around the water. They were familiar with the area. They had their, like, little um, headquarters or their, their uh, you know, clubhouse or whatever you want to call it, where they would meet, where they would kind of stand, watch. And uh, then they could bring any rescue victims back and sort of triage them uh, in these rescue society Clubhouses, I don't know what they were called, but these rescue societies formed. And, and you can imagine what it would take <clears throat> if you're going to kind of uh, take on yourself the role of, of saving lives. Like it took a lot of training, uh, it took a lot of uh, sacrifice and commitment and time. Well, as things developed... Uh, in advance, and this is, you know, we're talking a long, long time ago. Um, military and other organizations um, came about that would, um, uh, th- that would also help rescue people and patrol coastlines and things. And so people in these rescue societies uh, lost the sense of urgency over time. Like, it just took a lot to keep things going in that kind of rescue operation. So they lost the sense of urgency, but they loved the camaraderie of the rescue society. They got to meet together. They got to know each other. You can imagine the highs and the lows, uh, that adrenaline would, the adrenaline that would, that would produce and kind of bond people together through their rescue operations. So they loved the camaraderie, They weren't so big on the mission though. So what they did is they transitioned from rescue society to yacht club. This is what formed the country's first yacht club. It was a group of people that had a mission of rescue and sort of lost the urgency, but loved the kind of consumer comfort benefits of the club and so they became Yacht Club. And I think that this is, this is a perfect uh, metaphor as we start this series about the church because there's always going to be the danger for churches to sort of lose focus, lose mission, maybe go a little bit consumer, a little bit comfortable, and all of a sudden we're a kind of Yacht Club instead of a rescue society. And so what I want to kind of do is, 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 is frame this up and say... What do you want to be a part of? Want to be a part of a yacht club or a rescue society? So we're going to, this is a three-week series, and in these three weeks, there's no way we can be exhaustive with everything God has in store for his church. So for you Bible scholars, I'm going to ask that you cut us some grace. We're not going to be able to cover all the things that God has called his church to, but we're going to try to talk through a few of the biggies over the next uh, um, few weeks, okay? So I want to start with uh, looking at the words of Jesus, and as he thinks about his movement, uh, what does he want to see? And one of the ways we can do that is by looking at what he says he doesn't want to see. So we're going to look at a couple examples of here of of where uh, he gets a little frustrated or tries to clarify the mission. Okay, So so in ancient scripture, uh, I talk about this a lot, and I hope that everybody here becomes a student of the scriptures. You will have a very difficult time growing in a friendship with Jesus unless you have some regular Bible intake. And maybe you know nothing about the Bible and that sounds all intimidating. We'll get you there. Um, But if you become a student of scripture, it's important to realize that these are ancient Eastern texts, not modern Western texts. And so we modern Westerns, we love bullet points Like, let's go get to the point, concise, give me the cliff notes. We like textbooks. Uh, We like uh, declarative statements. Like, just tell me what's the point. But ancient Eastern was not like that. You would observe things, almost like you're watching a movie, uh, and and you would have to kind of uh, see what the author was trying to do with these stories. And and one of the the devices used often, especially in the Gospels, this is really important, Matthew, Mark, and Luke especially, use juxtaposition. Okay, they're going to frame up a detail so you get something going in your mind and then give a story that plays weird off of the initial statement. We're going to see that. So... We're going to see the juxtaposition of the, of the term large crowds with then how Jesus responds to large crowds. So I'll give you an example. If you wouldn't mind grabbing a Bible from the row in front of you, uh, I love when people kind of go on their own and, and look at, at the scriptures and get familiar with using a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can easily read. Just take the one that's in the chair, under the chair in front of you. Uh, as a gift, we'd love for you to have that. And turn to page 1047. 1047. <clears throat> the reason I like for people to use uh, the Bibles there instead of just cheating from the screen, which is fine, honestly, but then if someone's not familiar with, with the Bible at all, um, they can kind of get familiar, um, maybe get a little less intimidated with a real Bible. So if everybody does it, then nobody feels like they're standing out. So that's why I... Do this kind of a thing. Page 1047, that's the gospel of Luke. And we're going to start in chapter 14. The big numbers are the chapters. The little numbers are the verses. If you're brand new to the Bible. Page 1047, I'm sorry. 1047, that's Luke 15. We're going to start in verse 25 large crowds were traveling with Jesus. Very important for that whole juxtaposition thing. I like to say that word because it makes me sound a little smarter than I really am. Um, uh, Very important with the the juxtaposition thing because we're talking about large crowds. I want you to picture maybe, how many of you were at Cavs Parade? Cavs Parade, anybody, anybody? Not many of you, that's kind of lame. I guess it was a long time ago. It was like, you know. Um, large crowds. okay. Maybe not calves parade size crowd but large crowds. Now uh, picture the disciples they're at the center of this Jesus movement and, and picture what they might assume from large crowds. Jesus is popular. Jesus is winning. Crowds are coming out to see him. So if you're a disciple at the center of the movement you're feeling pretty good about the way things are going right? Feeling like this movement is off to a great start. Look at all the people. Because as human beings, we can't help but judge the size of a crowd as something that is generally good. Like a politician is going to look at their audience as evidence of whether or not they're winning or not. Okay. <clears throat> Large crowds traveling with Jesus. And then comes the PR nightmare. And turning to them, he said... If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So he looks at this crowd and he says that. Can you imagine the, like, the disciples, like, whoa, whoa, what do what you, you, nope, 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 he's just kidding. He's just kidding, but he stayed put. A couple data points here. Number one, uh, Greek is the language of the New Testament, Koine Greek, which means street or common Greek. And the words, uh, it's not a precise language like English. Um, the words have a, quite a range of meaning. And so the Greek word used there for hate is meseo. Maceo, and that can mean anything from uh, to love less, love less or like hold in second place, all the way down the line to like despise or hate, which when you think about it, that's a big range of meaning. Like I could say, I maseo taco to pizzas. I, I hold them second to pizza, but tacos are still pretty awesome. Or, I, Maseo, tacos, like I hate tacos, they make me sick just seeing them. And that, you could use that, like context is pretty important, and even just, you know, trying to, there's just a, there's a dance you do to try to figure out. But knowing that Jesus said he came to start a movement to be known by love, and you love even your worst enemy, is it likely that Jesus meant you gotta hate your mom if you follow me? That's not very likely. I think a better interpretation is, hold in a distant second, right? Second place. Family is second place to me. So large crowd following Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, family and even your own life is second place to the movement that I've come to start. And then he says, if you want to follow me, he looks at this crowd, large crowd of people, if you want to follow me, you got to carry your cross you got to pick up your cross you got to follow me now this is interesting to me this took place before the crucifixion obviously so the cross was not associated with Jesus at all they didn't have a context for any kind of symbolic thing that Jesus was talking about associated with Christianity all the cross was was an instrument of execution It was a symbol in the Roman world of shame, of defeat. Uh, Like, you know, you are a dead man, dead woman walking with no rights, no privileges, no self. You're done. Life as you knew it was done. You were on the rack. That's what the cross meant. And so with no association to Jesus or the Jesus movement at all, Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me if you call yourself my follower. So think about the implications there. And I think what we get is a situation where Jesus looks at the crowd, large crowd, and thinks to himself, nah, this is too many people. There must be some lack of clarity here. If this many people think they want in on this movement, they don't understand the movement. And he clarifies. If you're in this movement, yourself, your needs your consumerism done compared to the movement. And so this sounds a lot more like a rescue society than it does a yacht club based on that. So Jesus is going to, um, again, another example. Uh, this, is in, this is in Matthew 13. It's on page 978. So our Pee Wee Herman word of the day is juxtaposition. We said large crowds is what we're using. Okay. 978, Matthew 13, starting in verse 2, says, such large crowds were gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. So again, again, There's your trigger word, what's coming to mind. Large crowds are following. So large that he can't even really have a place to stand. He doesn't have a place to stand and teach from. He's got to get in a boat, come back from the shore so that he can project out. So huge crowds are surrounding Jesus. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. And he was, uh, as he was scattering the seed... Some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So, huge crowd, and Jesus tells a story about a lot of seeds that kind of sprouted up and didn't make it. The only seeds that made it were the ones that produced something. Now, here's how he translates the story. It's down in verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart this is the seed sown along the path so Jesus says large crowd of people is like you know some people just kind of hear the concept of following Jesus and they're just not interested they not nah, not for me the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. They're excited about it. They're fans of Jesus. They love this Jesus movement. Slap on the bumper sticker, get the t-shirt, 95.5, or better radio stations. Total inside joke. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So they're in until they're not, because life is hard. Now here's the one that should scare us in suburbia. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth, they hear the word, but the worries of this life And the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. Unfruitful. They hear it, but it doesn't produce any fruit in their life. They hear it, but they don't do anything about it. They hear it, but their schedules and consumerism gets in the way. And they never produce anything for God. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus talks about four different kinds of heart conditions here. Hearing the word and some people have no interest. Other people follow. They're great fans of Jesus. But life gets in the way. Or maybe they just get in the rhythm of going and sitting in a church and putting in their time when they can. And then going and doing their normal consumer thing. But the ones that Jesus says get it and are a part of the movement are the ones that actually produce something for God. With their life. And then he says, He who has ears, let him hear. Who is that? Well, that's that's all of us. Okay. So you see how Jesus reacts to a large crowd different than us? It's almost like he's not interested in a crowd. We would be excited. I'd be excited. If this place was packed out, five services a Sunday, I'd be exhausted, but I'd be excited. But Jesus would see that and almost say, ah, there might be a little too many people that want to be a part of this. They must not understand what I want from people. He sees the crowd and he feels the need to clarify. No, no, no. I know you're all along for the ride here. But what I'm starting is a movement of selflessness, not a club. I'm starting a rescue society, not a yacht club. I'm looking for people who are all in, not consumers. All right. So we get a look at what Jesus kind of isn't looking for. I want to take a quick look and uh, um, let's see what he had in mind. What does the scripture say the movement called the church is supposed to be? And I want to look quick in Acts 1. Acts 1 says this, in my former book, Theophilus, that's the guy that he was writing to, I wrote about all that Jesus began, look at that, look at that, all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions to the Holy Spirit, to the apostles, he had chosen. Now, real quick, the Gospel of Luke is followed up by the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is really the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's the history, it's the early history of the church. It's what happened when the church broke out into the movement of Jesus. So this is what's crucial. Luke says, In my first book, the Gospel of Luke, I talked about all that Jesus began, implying this new book, the book of Acts, the history of the church, is going to be the continuation of Jesus' work through the Holy Spirit through his people. So this is incredible to me because he could have said, in my first book, I showed you the movement that Jesus came to start, and he started it, and then he died, and now he's risen, and it's history. <clears throat> but instead, he says, oh, that was just the start, all that Jesus began to do. Now, the implications are far beyond sit, stand, Neal here in terms of the church world far beyond a ritualistic experience of God, far beyond just Bible information transfer. We are nothing less than the continuation of the work that Jesus began 2,000 years ago. Polaris Christian Church is nothing less than all that Jesus began to do 2,000 years ago. You, your life, as far as God's concerned, your calling is nothing short of a continuation of all that Jesus began to do 2,000 years ago. That's a big calling. That's a big deal. And we're called to be a part of it. Now, let me also look at Luke 4, and I'm going to read to you real quick what Jesus came to begin. There's a moment in the Gospels, there's a moment when Jesus says, here's what I'm here to do. This is what this movement is going to be about. Beginning of his ministry, Luke 4. It says he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, hometown. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom, for the prisoners and recovery of the sight for the blind to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor to tell everybody God is with you and for you and among you and then he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him <clears throat> he began by saying to them he began By saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all that Jesus began, and it says he began by saying this scripture from the book of Isaiah is fulfilled in your hearing. That's how he started the movement. It was to be a movement of healing, of hope, of proclaiming good news to people, of announcing that God is here in our midst and he loves us and he's for us, of setting all kinds of captives in all kinds of chains free. This is an active movement. Jesus saw a broken world and he said, I'm going to do something about something. This is a redemptive movement and the church, God's church, it does not come together to remember that, does not come together just to think about how great that is. The church is called to continue that, that started 2,000 years ago and that has to continue. This is not a yacht club, this is a rescue society on mission. This is not a consumer movement. This is a selfless and sacrificial rescue movement meant to take the hope that came through Jesus into the world around us. Now, I got one more verse that I want uh, to kind of burn a hole in your mind for the week. Okay, this is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. This is this verse. I remember the first time that I was confronted with this verse at Jackson Christian Church in Maslin, Ohio. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. That's 1 Corinthians 12 27. Now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Through all of 1 Corinthians 12, take some time this week to look at it. Paul talks about a body. He talks about different parts of a body. He says that everybody is like a part of the body. And man, if a part stops doing its job, it hurts the whole body. Or if one part tries to be another part, that hurts the whole body. What the body needs is for everybody to know their part and know that they are a part and do their job. And he says, you are the body of Christ. So the first implication from that is that um, Jesus' physical body 2,000 years ago did what he did to bring hope to the world. But now that continues on through his church. So you can say Polaris Christian Church. It sounds almost blasphemous, doesn't it? Polaris Christian Church is the living, breathing body of Jesus here in Brunswick. Here in this region, here in Northeastern Ohio and beyond, we are the presence of Jesus continuing, not just to celebrate what he did and think about what he did, but to continue what he did. That's a big calling. And guess what? It's not just us, it's not just the professional Christian here on stage. Because Paul says, You are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If you say you follow Jesus, you're a part of it. You're a part of the body of Christ, and you're a part of the body of Christ you're a part of the body of Christ you're a part of the body you're each one of you is and understand this we can't get to play the card oh i'm just new to this okay the corinthians it's very this was he said this is the corinthians corinth was like ancient vegas they were into some weird stuff in corinth and that is no joke and these were first generation christians they didn't have bibles in their seats they didn't have any kind of like generational understanding of, of, of Christianity, of the movement. They were brand new to all that. They were a mess. They had some skeletons. I mean, when you read the stuff that Paul says, hey, maybe don't do that in church. Those, they, were, they had some weird stuff in Corinth. And Paul looks at every one of those newbies and he says, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Ain't no yacht club. This is a rescue mission, and you guys are all a part of it. So, um, you guys can come on up for for one last song and, and a real practical. If this is hitting some of you like, oh man, I gotta I gotta do something. If you don't have a cause, you uh, specifically you're like, I want to do something about that. Uh, the big red guy to my left here, who just got ordained, Adam McMahon. Um, he's our connections pastor, meaning his primary role of Polaris is to get people connected, get people taking next steps in their friendship with Jesus. And, and, and his whole role is to help anybody that wants to begin uh, to do something about something and to serve and to be a part of that body of Christ, wants to help you figure it out. And so uh, there's a great place to start connect with him here you can go on your app and go to text the staff and 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 hit them with a message um what you want to do or just to just to connect Uh, we want to help you as a church understand what it means to be a part of the body of christ and begin to um, to use jesus language bear fruit for god to be a part of the rescue mission never settle for the yacht club and so I guess I'd like for you to ask yourself today, what do you want to be a part of? Do you want to be a part of a yacht club? Or do you want to be part of a rescue society? Do you want your life and legacy to be about you, and about you know, consumer experiences? Or do you want to join God's calling for your life and do great things for God and his kingdom because that's what God has called us to, and he's with us every step. That can sound overwhelming, but he's a big God. And he's with us every step of the way. All right, I want you to use this last song as like a prayer, maybe a moment of declaration. You want to be a part of everything that God has called you to be. And that is a continuation, nothing short of a continuation of the movement that Jesus (coughs) began 2,000 years ago. And I hope you'll join us with that.